Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to the first day of December 2022. Wow, December already, so happy holiday season to everybody. Get your Christmas shopping done by tomorrow afternoon, what can I tell you? All right, I'm Larry Jacobs. This is Pre-K-12 Education Talk Radio. Thanks so much for listening today. We do appreciate it. we got a lovely show with our good friends from the Council for Exceptional Children. Jen Bullock is here. There, she's their director of professional development over at CEC, which is, by the way, is exceptionalchildren.org, and a wonderful organization, need I say more. All right. And she has brought with her Dr. Michael Coyne. Mike is the department head of educational psychology and also professor of special ed at the University of Connecticut. And he is co-director of the Center for Behavioral Education and Research there. And then we have another center director from the University of Louisville, okay? We have Dr. Terry Scott, and Terry is the Associate Dean of Research and Graduate Studies over at Louisville, home of the Cardinals, okay? Connecticut's the home of the Huskies, I might add. And he's also, I assume Terry is a guy. We're going to find out in a second. I actually don't know. Terry is the Center for Instructional, he is the director for the Center for Instructional and Behavioral Research in schools. So we've got, we've got the battle of the two centers here. It's going to be great. The Center for Behavioral Education and Research and the Center for Instructional Behavioral Research in Schools. And we're, going, we're going to be talking about the multi-tiered support services, tier one literacy and behavioral supports. We're going to archive the show at ace-ed.org, our magazine, Equity and Access, and everything we do is over there, SEL, the podcasts, all of them we've done. All right, uh, teacher retention and our magazine, SEL, Equity and Access Pre-K-12. So please go over there to ace-ed.org and check it out. And without further ado, I'm going to ask the burning question. Dr. Scott, are you male or female? I am male. Hello, Terry. I'm Larry Jacobs. It's nice to have you here. Thank you. Thanks, Larry. Okay. I didn't know. I, I had to ask. Okay, I was referring to a he in these days. Who, who knows? Okay, Dr. Coyne, are you there, Michael? Yes, I am. It's uh, really great to be here. So thanks so much. Thank for, you. It's a pleasure uh, for to have you for having us. Well, my are you kidding? My pleasure and please, my honor. And please call me Larry. And Jen, how are you today? I'm great, Larry. Thanks for having me. Are you kidding? Again, I'm going to say it again. My pleasure. CEC is a valuable organization. They do so well. And everybody who is a member there is involved in special education, which is everybody there is going to go to heaven because that is they are very special people. Special education is all I have to say about that. Okay. The patience of saints, wonderful people. Okay. In fact, Jen, do you want to say a little more about the CEC before we go into the details here? Since you're a director of professional yeah, development. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Go for it. <laughs> Sure. Yeah. Well, I'll start off by saying I am the absolutely least qualified person on this podcast right now to talk about MTSS or behavior or tier one literacy instruction. Um, so I'm going to leave all of that to the actual experts on this call, which is Terry and Mike. Um, but I will certainly chime in when and where I can with um, whatever you know helpful resources or professional development opportunities we may have at CEC, so that listeners can get more um, in-depth information and uh, even time with Dr. Dr. Terry. Scott, who helped us out with a, a recent literacy institute that we had. Um, so okay. beyond this podcast for more information and instruction. Okay, thank you very much. And, and again, I don't want to say this about CEC. We tend to think of it as an organization for special education educators. Okay, and I have to say that 
these days, and it's the right thing to do. Those kids are mainstreamed. Everybody needs to know what's going on with special education. It affects everything in the district, and it affects a lot of kids, and it affects a lot of teachers beyond special ed. So please, it's exceptionalchildren.org. And believe me, go over there, administrators, teachers, etc., and learn about how to work best with these children who need such special and, and important help. Okay, well, is that a good way to say it, Jen? Perfect. I love that shout out. Thank you. Thank you. No, no problem. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll ask Michael. Mike, at your University of Connecticut, you run the Center for Behavioral Education Research, and Terry runs in, at Louisville the instructor, the Center for Instructional Behavioral Research in Schools. And do you guys have like athletic competitions to see which is the better center, Michael? Yeah, I think you know we sort of we uh, compete to see who has the most sort of confusing title of of, the, of their centers and who can like fit the most words in. So uh, um, yeah, so it's very very heated battle, I think. An arm wrestling tournament between the two of you. You guys yeah. are good sports, and I appreciate you being here, <laughs> Gary. Okay, Dr. Scott. First of all, tell us about what you do with them at Louisville. Okay, uh, dean of research, graduate studies, and tell us about the center. Um, well, again, uh, first of all, Larry, thank you for having me on. Um, You're welcome here. And I think the biggest challenge with, with starting our center was in trying to find a title that wasn't exactly the same as Mike's <laughs> center because um, his title describes exactly what we wanted to do. Um, we spend a lot of our time in schools in our center, and we – spend a lot of time watching what teachers do and watching uh, how kids react to what teachers do. We focus really on instruction, and we look at instruction of um, both academics and behavior. And, and my interest is really in um, can we predict student behavior based upon adult behavior? And, and we really hmm. can, well. especially if you focus on what teachers do instruction. Wow. It's, it's so interesting. Uh, I have to tell you, it's amazing. And the people who, who go to your center, uh, Terry, are, are they educators or is it more psychologists? Okay, which can be the same person, but you know what I mean, just to divide those two things. Is it for educators or is it for psychologists? Educators. So all Thanks. the people working in in the center, all the grant projects we have are all from Department of Ed. Wow. Keep it up, Mick, because we need, we need well-trained and we need a lot of people in that area, and we are running short, which brings me to Mike. Mike, you want to talk about – Michael Coyne, Dr. Coyne, Mike, do you want to talk about your Center for Behavioral Education and Research over at the University of Connecticut, home of the Huskies? Yeah. Yeah, sure. And, and, and similar to Terry, our center really focuses on sort of work with schools and kind of applied research projects. So. So I think, you know, and we have a focus on both academics and behavior supports as well. And I kind of think of sort of two tiers. One is, you know, developing and evaluating effective practices um, for students that might be experiencing reading or behavioral difficulties, you know, really trying to develop and evaluate and disseminate, you know, really good teaching practices to support students and, and teachers in those areas. And, and then the sort of second theme is you know, thinking more kind of systemically about how to support schools or school districts in kind of building the systems and structures that 
you know, like Terry was saying, that basically the goal is to support teachers, support students, and to try to build those systems and infrastructure in schools so that, you know, it's not individual teachers kind of going it alone, but there's this support of a school-wide or district-wide system here, here. and structures in place. Here, here, right, right, K-12, every district, right through the board. I couldn't agree with you more. I have one other question. I know, dear, that you're department head of ed psych, okay, and you're also obviously a professor of special ed. And just, I just have to ask you, considering those two things, we have a tremendous shortage, okay, of educational psychologists. We need more than ever. It's certainly special ed goes without question. In terms of the shortage, just from the University of Connecticut point of view, are you short of people? Not, not short of people, but what are you seeing in terms of uh, the number of people in cohorts, et cetera? Yeah, it's exactly right. I think, you know, there's a greater need than, than ever. And yeah. you know, we kind of talk about critical shortage areas and special educators, school psychologists, school counselors. And, you know, we have amazing students at the University of Connecticut that are really kind of inspired to go into those fields. But even with you know the students that were that were that were training and putting yeah. out they're still they're still need so it's a it's a huge issue and i i hope people do get into this more and more and more and university of louisville cardinals doctor and the university of connecticut the huskies are both good places to learn this i want to ask both of you i'll swing back to terry okay we're going to talk about tier one literacy that's t-i-e-r tier one literacy multi multi uh, multi Jeez, all of a sudden lost it. Okay. Tell me MTSS. I just lost it in my head. Say it again, Mike. MTSS. Yeah, yeah. Multi-tier, multi-tier support system. All of a sudden I just lost it. I don't know how I lost yeah. that. Okay. <laughs> multi-tier support systems. Okay. So we're talking about tier one literacy and behavior supports. All right, and I'm going to, Mike, I'm, excuse me, Terry, I want to ask you this because you mentioned this, how adult behavior swings over to, to student or child, children's behavior. Okay, talk about what tier one literacy and behavior supports are, okay, and how's it work within a school district? And again, I hope everybody's doing this, a multi-tiered framework. Terry. Sure. Which is probably your – I probably just asked you to explain your entire 101 and 102 courses in for 10 minutes, but please go ahead. Yeah, I, I think about it like this. Um, if, if we're not doing what we need to be doing to maximize the potential for student success, we're going to have a lot more kids that need a lot more help. Yeah. Tier one simply means are we doing – the things that we know do maximize the probabilities for success for kids. And interestingly, I think um, when you look at reading and behavior, um, the, the better job we do of teaching reading, the, the fewer problems we have with behavior. And the better job we do of teaching behavior, the easier it is to have uh, literacy instruction be successful. So I don't think of these as, two separate things. I think the tier one can well, simply be put together as what are all the things we could do to make kids successful with everything they need to be successful with. So Terry, Dr. Scott, are we actually doing that? And you're in the education school, the University of Louisville. Okay. So you, you have access literally to an education school. Okay. Are, are we, when we teach kids to become teachers, are we doing that? And, and I, I have to say this, I, I, I was a social studies teacher, 
okay? And although I went to school a long time ago, all right, but the emphasis was not anything about kids. And I went through education school, okay, in Westchester, but years and years ago, okay? And it, there was no, nothing or very, very little about the kids, about education. It was mostly where I was taught about history and social studies, okay? So knowing what we know, and you just said it and you articulated it beautifully, okay, are we in fact doing that? Are we training teachers to do what you just said? And training schools to do what we just said, you just said. Uh, Terry. I, I can speak, first of all, to Louisville. We do yeah. train our special ed teachers in that. Whether ed um, teachers are trained in that, I, I don't know. Um, I would say that possibly one of our challenges is the fact that so much of the kinds of things that Mike and I do, we spend doing with teachers that are already in the field. And it would be more logical if everybody came out of their teacher programs um, versed in all of these things. Yeah. So yeah. because this hasn't been around forever, um, we're, we're going to be training in service teachers regardless. And, and again, I couldn't really speak to the degree to which um, we're training teachers to do that everywhere. Um, but I would take a study that we're with that in that regard. Yeah, and I, but my point of asking that is, and you guys and Jen certainly know what social emotional learning is, okay? And we're asking every teacher, and this has something to do with that with behavioral supports, et cetera, okay? And we're asking every teacher to teach that, and not a single teacher has been trained in how to teach it, okay? Not one, okay, as far as I know. All right, if you guys know different, let me know. But I don't think there's any school anywhere running a course in teaching SEL, all right? And which is key to every school district these days. We know you guys are scientists, okay? We know the science. We know what's going to make it easier for teachers. We know what's going to make it better for kids to learn. And all the things that you do, again, at the Center for Instructional Behavioral Research, that stuff is so important. It's science, Okay, at the Center for Behavioral Education Research, it's science. It's not just anecdotal. Uh, Michael, why why are we making sure that every every teacher everywhere, it's certainly at University of Connecticut at school, knows what's going on and how to deal with it? The kids are more important than the subject. The subject comes after the kids. Am I going nuts here or what, Michael? <laughs> I mean, I think you're you're hitting on a really important point, which is. You know, a lot of times we teach the content, um, which is really important. In, you know, getting and reading, there's a lot of, there's really complex content. But there also, we need to think about how we teach teachers how to effectively communicate and teach that content. And we have the science behind what good, effective teaching looks exactly. like. Exactly. Um, and, you know, and this is what Terry could talk about this too, but, I, but one of the things that we also do is sort of, we understand that we need to teach teachers how to teach math and reading, but then we assume that teachers can support students' behavior, social-emotional development kind of on the fly, that it doesn't yeah. have the same yeah. sort of requirement for, you know, that kind of same effective teaching strategies and principles that we know work when we're teaching kids reading strategies, but we somehow don't think that those are 
similarly effective strategies for teaching kids, you know, social skills or self-regulation or engagement. Um, and so, you know, thinking more about supporting behavior and supporting social-emotional learning in the same way we do other important, you know, yeah. components of and content in schools, I think, is, is something that we need to kind of shift. And I know that folks like Perry are doing an amazing job teaching teachers and teaching future teachers, you know, how to really implement evidence-based and scientifically-based approaches for so supporting important. student behavior and helping teachers support students. So he could definitely talk more about and, and, and you, please do that, Terry, because my head is shaking up and down, agreeing with what Michael said, A, how smart you guys are and what you're doing, okay, and B, how important this is. And I have to say, there's a, you know, we, we can be effective, we're using the phrase effective learning and saying effective teaching, okay, but I always say this, if learning isn't going on, you're not teaching, okay, it's nothing to do with the teaching, it has to do with the learning, okay, that's all there is to it, and if the kids aren't supported, with a good multi-tier support system, they are not going to learn well, especially in this day and age, okay? That, that, that might be a shift, but it's an important and recognizable shift. We have the science, like Mike was just saying, to back this up. This is what you gentlemen do, and this is what Jen provides through CEC to everybody, this information. And it has to, there has to be a structural change. In teacher, to my, in my opinion, to teacher education and in the school districts that absolutely understand this. Okay, it just has to be done. Terry, you're a smart guy. Talk to me. Am I right, Doctor Scott? Would you give me an A? I, th I think you're definitely on the the right track there. Yeah, it's just um, a B. I'm a, all right. I'll, I'll do better next <laughs> week. Next paper, I promise. <laughs> um, you know, like Mike said, we know what effective instruction needs to look like. Yeah. There's, there's really no debate. If, if you're looking at this as a science, there's no reasonable debate here. Um, how do we get adults to do those things? That's the key. And, and I think uh, you're exactly right that we should judge effect by if the students are learning or not. And if they're not learning, then yeah. it's, it's us that need to do something different. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't know that we always look at things that way. Um, we do know there are some very basic pieces of instruction, and again, whether you're teaching reading, math, literacy, whatever, that need to be there. And, and they don't work, or, or they all involve very specific behaviors by adults, which mean that teaching is a profession um, you know, it should come with a set of standards. We know you're doing it well when you're doing these things. And I don't think as a field of education that we all agree on what those things are. I know Mike and I would agree. Um, I think everybody in special ed more or less agrees. Mm -hmm. But I don't think across the, the field of education at large there's agreement still. There needs to be. There needs to be. I mean, it's just so important. And, Terry, I have to ask you a question. I'm up here in Maine, okay? And I'm just curious. And I'm sure you know. And actually, I've interviewed on the show uh, your chief uh, school officer, Jason Glass, who's really an interesting guy. All right? And how, when you look at Kentucky schools or Louisville schools, whoever you want to say that, great bourbon, by the way, okay, talk to me, okay? Are, are they? When you talk to them, do they get it? 
do the school that you the schools that you talk to get it? The public schools at all? Um, do they get it? They, they want to get it, and I think hmm. they they do. Well said. Go ahead, Terry. Are you there? Before we come. I lost you for a second. Hello? Did you repeat that? Yeah, we. I think they want to know. They're eager to work with us on things. And, again, I think the challenge is that these are things they should know before we come to work with them. But the schools absolutely yeah. um, want to do better. They want their kids to learn. I hope, and they have to keep trying. Mike, what's your when you look at Connecticut schools? Okay, what, what do you what do you see, Doctor Coyne? Yeah, I I mean I try to think of things. You know, I'm, I'm sort of an optimist, I guess. But I I feel like it's more and good. more people I talk to in schools, you know, wanna use research and, and evidence and science as a you know, as a guide for yeah. practices in schools. Um, and kind of to go along with what Terry said a little bit is, you know, I'm biased because I'm a special educator. But I think, you know, a lot of the it's a good bias. practices and the kind of, you know, really careful assessment of students to, to determine whether they're learning, those kind of practices that were developed for, for kids with learning disabilities or kids with disabilities, you know, work for – are good practice for all kids. And so – you know, when we're thinking about tier one, it is this kind of, you know, standard of care for all kids in the school. Um, and, you know, we do kind of think about it as, a, you know, an equity issue that, that you know, every, every student yeah. deserves to be in a classroom that is providing, you know, high quality academic and behavior supports that is, you know, aligned with what we know works. Yeah. And, you know, it's awful to think that they're sort of, you know, relying on kids just being lucky enough by chance to be in, you know, a first grade classroom or a second grade classroom where the teacher is, is teaching reading effectively, you know. And the whole idea of sort of tier one within an MTSS framework is to, you know, really think about this kind of consistency and coordination across teachers and across schools so that it really does provide this high quality, you know, tier one for everybody universal uh, experience for all kids. And that's going to benefit kids that, you know, are typical learners, but also, you know, is essential to have that foundation for kids with disabilities or more vulnerable learners. It's and we're starting the, to get it. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. I'm sorry. I interrupted you. Say that again. Oh, I was just going to say, I think schools are starting to get that. And, and I think they, you know, the urgency yeah, with the way they're thinking about that, you know, I think the pandemic and, you know, seeing where kids are now in terms of their social, emotional learning and behavior and, and academics, you know, it's, it's kind of forcing them to think beyond just, oh, you know, we only have a couple of, you know, we have kids with disabilities that need this type of support, but thinking about how to, you know, build the capacity to support a broader range of students in these important areas. Yeah, and I'll tell you, your point is well taken. We are so reactive, okay? The mm-hmm. pandemic happened, and suddenly, now suddenly we realize the, 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 there's a situation that we're uh, that, that is hard to comprehend. But had we done all this when we know we should have been doing it prior to the pandemic, prior to any given emergency, we would have been prepared for the emergency because crazy things, okay? Mm-hmm. And if we don't get it, we, we you guys have both said it. We know this. This is the science. We knew it 
15 years ago, 10 years ago. Okay, but we wait till the mm-hmm. emergency before, oh, now we have to do it. Okay, and it's the exact wrong way. That's why they have to really do it. Now we got to learn these lessons from this pandemic. There's going to be another one or something like it. Okay, and I want to ask you, and I'll stick with Michael on this. Mike, where is the framework? Okay, we have an MTSS tier one framework, but where is it? Where's that framework? Where can they? Stay? Yeah, I think, you know, you know, MTSS or multi-tier system support, I think the sort of, you know, the, the sort of underlying premise of it is that, you know, we we understand that not all students need the same thing and that, you know, yeah. we want to be able to kind of align the level of support with kids' needs. Um, and uh, but we ought to do that sort of systematically and not kind of rely on individual teachers to have to kind of do all this differentiation on their own. So, you know, MTSS kind of comes from public health frameworks where we, we particularly think about kind of prevention frameworks so that there's a sort of, you know, yeah. tier one universal supports, like high quality supports for all kids. And the goal is, is that sort of, you know, prevents, prevents as much, um, you know, difficulties and challenges as possible. But then some kids are going to need more than that. And so that there's then increasing levels of support um, in sort of tier two or tier three, you know, where, you know, in public health, you might say that, you know, everyone should have a healthy diet and exercise. And for most people that should be enough to keep them healthy. But we know that some have some kind of genetic or risk factors where, you know, they need more careful monitoring, maybe medication, you know, some kind of, um, you you know, special diet or something. And then there's going to be some, you know, some students are in in the population, those that, you know, are at significant risk and need sort of individualized kind of care. And so it's sort of thinking about that kind of tiered system within schools and I think you made a really great point before, which is it's the goal is to not be reactive, but to be preventive. Yeah. So, you know, so if we have that kind of information about risk level or where students are performing, then we can try to build these prevention systems in place so that we're not sort of surprised yeah. in fourth grade when half the students in the school are, you know, score low on a state assessment or something, that we're, you know, kind of monitoring the sort of academic and behavioral health of students all along and trying to be proactive in building these supports and systems. It, it has to, it just has to be done. We have to learn these lessons. And uh, Dr. Scott and you are, you know, you're, you're leaders in this field, okay? Which brings me back to Jen. And by the way, Michael, I love what you said about the, uh, 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 diet and exercise. I had no idea those were healthy things. I'm going to have to look that up. I'm just kidding. I did know that. I just, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm not sure that. I've heard that. Yeah. I think it yeah. might be a Somewhere. I, where's yeah. that framework? Okay. But seriously, <laughs> healthy, good diet and exercise works. Okay. I'm going to swing over to Jen. Jen, you over there? I'm here. Yeah. Hi, Jen. Okay. Jen is the Director of Professional Development over at CEC, Counts for Exceptional Children. Okay. Now, Terry and Scott, who I know you work with, they do great work at their centers. They have all this research. It's science. It makes sense. It's great for special educators. It's great for all educators. Okay. Now, it becomes a professional resource. All right. All right. Now, that's what you're in charge of. How do we get the information to the teachers? Talk about CEC's role. Once these two incredible gentlemen are done with their work with their colleagues, what happens then? Where do you fit in? How's this get out there. 
Sure. Well, hopefully we're doing this. Um, you doing are. It well. You are. So, you know, CEC exists to connect those, those educators and administrators directly with experts like Dr. Scott and Dr. Coyne, um, if they may not be in Louisville or Connecticut or whatever. So, um, you know, recently we put on a um, virtual literacy institute for Tier 1 literacy and practice, and it, and it really was to get at what we've been talking about here um, and getting that information directly to the teachers who need it. Um, and not only that, but giving them practice-based strategies to put it into practice. Um, right. So that's often where we find kind of the disconnect, right, the research to practice part. So that's where we really we looked at this from a design perspective to um, to put this institute on. So um, Dr. Scott kicked the whole thing off, and it was wonderful, giving us the foundations for effective Tier 1 literacy and behavior instruction. And then we broke it down into two learning tracks for elementary level and secondary or middle school level because, um, you know, it's different. Um, and did whole workshops yeah. on what are the strategies, um, what are the principles, what does it look like successfully in practice. Um, and then we had a closing session, too, about what, what does effective implementation look like and um, tons of resources as well, lesson plans, um, activities, um, the, you know, the slides from the workshops. And so it was such a rich learning experience. And um, if you missed it on November 3rd, that's, it's okay because uh, we've got it on demand now as well. So you wow. can access it um, whenever you need to and whenever you need, you know, refreshers on that too. We all need we all need that, right? Um, so I, I'd encourage uh, educators and administrators and instructional coaches out there to to take a look at that because um, you know that's what that's why we do what we do is to make sure that this information yeah. is available and accessible. And you guys do a great job of it. You really you really do. And I have to again, you said you had a lot of teachers there, okay? And I think that's wonderful. And I, Lord knows how much I know the teachers care so much. Okay, this has to be implemented even above teachers. Now, I work a lot with your subgroup called CASE, the Council of Administrators of Special <laughs> Education, Phyllis's group. Okay, wonderful group, and I, I love working with them. They were probably there, okay, learning all this. I think they're great, okay, but now they got to take it to that next level. What, are, are, were there enough administrators there? Do they have the tools to take this to the next level and make sure that it's implemented. And I think this thing, these have to be implemented uh, district-wide, not, not classroom-wide, not school-wide, district-wide. What, what are your thoughts on that? And we've got to get the administrators in there. The, the, not the special ed administrators. They're, they're great. But the, the district administrators, what's your thoughts on that, Jen? I mean, absolutely. So any, any sort of, you know, sustainable effort um, to – to keep this going and to do it well starts starts there really and and starts with the the understanding and um, also the understanding of the supports needed for teachers to, to keep it going and keep it going successfully. So, yeah, we had yeah. we had a, a good number of administrators and Great. instructional coaches um, Great. Uh, in that program and, and hopefully they'll continue to access the on demand part of it and make it part of ongoing professional development okay. at their school district state. Um, that's uh, you know that's that's the dream. Well, and I hope your dream comes true. I really do, because we need it all more than ever. This was excellent. Dr. Scott, thank you down there in Louisville. Have a, when you have your next glass of bourbon, will you think of me? It's the best down there. I absolutely will. Thank you. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. And, Michael, I'm, up in, I'm a New Englander, too. Winter is coming. That's all I can say to you. Yeah, Winter I know. I can, I can hear it outside right now. So, yeah, thank <laughs> you so much. It's a little windy out here. Michael, thank you so much for being here. And Terry, too. Jen, thanks a million. This is great. We do a lot of work with CEC, and 
what you what you do with this professional development is just so darn important. Okay, so uh, thank you, Jen. Thank you, Larry. You're welcome. All three of you, happy holiday season. Okay, take care and uh, thank you. Bye. You're welcome. <clears throat> okay, almost lost my voice there. We're going to archive the show over. They're wonderful, by the way. That's CEC, that's exceptionalchildren.org. Go over there, okay? And Dr. Coyne is at UConn, UConn.edu, C-O-Y-N-E, like Coyne. And Dr. Terry Scott is at Louisville, Louisville.edu, okay? We're going to archive the show over at ace-ed.org. That's where everything we do is located, so check it out over there. My name is Larry Jacobs. This is Pre-K-12 Education Talk Radio. Thanks for listening.